This evening we bring to conclusion this year's uh, sessions of Lecture Divine, our experience of praying, praying the Word of God in that spirit of speak, Lord, your servant is listening. And in the course of this, uh, this year, we have been reflecting on passages of Scripture that speak to us of the people of the Old Testament, those who have served the Lord, those who have heard his call and have been sent out to him for a mission in this world. And I remember when I set up these uh, readings for this year, I thought, well, I'll be able to get through the whole Old Testament. We've, we've only really gotten through a part of it. So I think what I might do next year is just continue on. There are many other uh, personalities, men and women of the Old Testament, and then we can maybe go into the New, who are, uh, they teach us. They're like the saints. You know, they, they say within a church, as with this one, we have pictures of saints. The saints are people the light shines through, as in a stained glass window. And I think that's why we, uh, we look to them, uh, to find their virtues, but also maybe to see their vices and find if we can look to ways we don't get into the difficulties they did. So this last session, this last time of Lecture Divina, uh, we're going to be praying the book of Jonah. Now, not the whole book of Jonah, just the chapter 3 and 4, but the book itself is very short. It's only, I don't know, a couple of pages, three pages altogether. It's a beautiful book. It's a marvelous book. And it's divided into two sections, chapter 1 and 2 and chapter 3 and 4. So we're only going to be looking at the second section. The first section is the exciting one where Jonah gets swallowed by, says, a big fish or a whale. Uh, and Jonah's interesting because in both section, sections of the book, in a sense, the same message is given to us. And the message is that God works in many strange ways that we do not ex understand and that we might even disagree with. We might be, in a sense, Jonah turns out to be more faithful or more zealous than the Lord God himself. He seeks to sort of, you know, hear people being kind of more Catholic than the Pope or more this or that. He, he really wants to be a prophet like the great prophets of old, like casting down fire on the earth like Elijah and people like that. And yet God's mercy is what is the message that is to be proclaimed. And the message of repentance is to lead to conversion. That's what God wants. He doesn't really want the spectacular destruction even of the evil city of Nineveh. Nineveh was the, the, the great empire that crushed the people of God, destroyed them, took them away, did horrible things to them. And so you can't imagine, just think of, in our own world, I won't give a few examples, I can think of a few, but of like a, of an, an evil empire, of a people who are just crushing and destroying people, crushing their freedom, throwing them in jail, shutting down their churches, things like that, uh, trying to destroy their faith, you know, that kind of an empire. Uh, and they, they exist, they always have. And so Jonah, a good faithful Israelite, um, doesn't doesn't want to them to be converted. He'd be quite happy if when he says repent, they say no, and God wipes them off, blows them away. But that is not God's plan. That is not God's heart. He, he wants them to repent. He doesn't seek their destruction. He is slow to anger, rich in mercy, abounding in kindness. And so I think there's a message to us in the book of Jonah to kind of cool our zeal or really let our zeal be tempered by love. There's a wonderful line in the ordination mass, which is just spectacular. It says, let these who have been ordained be ardent yet gentle servants of the Lord. 
ardent on fire. Let them be fully zealous. We don't want them to be kind of just having no zeal, no, no fire. But ardent but gentle. In other words, don't be so ardent in prophetic uh, zeal that um, you just simply destroy in, in kind. Like, like our Lord faced, you know, the, in the gospel itself when he had the sons of thunder, when he came to the bunch of the people, they wanted to bring down fire and lightning and, and uh, destruction upon the people who had opposed Jesus. And the Lord said, no, no, no. Just as in the Garden of Gethsemane, when, uh, you know, they're just slicing away, and uh, the Lord said, no, no, put your sword away. That's not his way. So there are two different ways in which we, we see this. Maybe we can learn a bit from Jonah. First of all, in the first half of the book, Jonah is given the message to get up, go, preach to Nineveh. And that's going in one direction. Jonah goes down, not up. He goes down to the sea gets in a boat and heads the other way, another 180 degrees in the other direction, off to Spain, in that direction, to Tarshish. He just does the opposite of what God wants, because he doesn't want, we think maybe at first, maybe he's just afraid of going to the evil city. He might be martyred. No, no, it's not really that we discover later. It's just he doesn't want them to repent. He wants them to be smashed. They're the evil people they are. And maybe that's something we need to learn as we listen to the words of Jonah. It's so easy to have fierce views and fierce feelings. Do we notice that a lot these days? A lot of that. Smash, kill, you know, down, boom, boom. Fiery way of zealous slogans and things. Bang, bang, bang. Um, that's Jonah's spirit. And it's not what God is calling him to. And so off he goes. And there's a great storm on the sea as he's heading the wrong way. And he's sort of like the disciples on the road to Emmaus. They're heading the wrong way, and Jesus comes and turns them back. Well, Jesus does that on the road to Emmaus in a kind of a gentle conversation. Here the Lord God sends a big storm to bounce them up and down. And it's interesting. On the boat, there's Jonah hiding down in his little cabin. Down, and the poor pagan sailors, they're, they're, they're desperate. They're throwing things overboard. And well, what are they going to do? They're going to die. And they, they wonder, what has led us to this disaster? And when they find out that Jonah is fleeing from the, from the Lord and, and he, he says, well, the only thing is throw me overboard and all will be calm, he, off he goes into the sea and they repent. Even these, everyone pagan in this book repents and they believe in the Lord God. And there they are. What a beautiful, wonderful story it is. But Jonah's not happy. He's deposited by a big fish on the shore and the Lord says, back to your duty again. And so that's where we pick up in the second half, which is essentially about the same message. The Lord says to him again, go preach to the people of Nineveh. And he just can see him sort of dragging his feet. And probably when he says, repent, for in 40 days the city will be destroyed, he may be mumbling so they don't hear him. But he hardly gets across into the city when they all repent. He succeeds as a prophet, and that, of course, drives him crazy because he doesn't want them to repent. He's a fierce and ferocious man of God. But maybe God doesn't so much want fierce and ferocious men of God. Maybe he wants someone who is slow to anger, rich in mercy, abounding in kindness like him. And so this is a book of compassion, tempering, zeal. And maybe we can learn as we say, what does it say to my head? 
to my heart, to my hands, maybe in these days of great contention everywhere, in the church, in politics, on the streets, everywhere, great contention. Can there be a listening ear? Can there be a listening heart? Can we perhaps think of that? And listen to the Lord who speaks to fiery Jonah and teaches him to have mercy, to be attentive, to have compassion, even on a city he hates and he thinks is absolutely wrong and has persecuted his people and done all these horrible things. Even they are people. And even though the wonderful line at the end is my favorite line of the whole book, well, I don't know. He says, we have 120,000 people who don't know their right hand from their left and not even the animals do. So God has compassion on every, everyone there. And we hope that Jonah learns from that. And we hope that we learn from that. So let's start with a prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Almighty God, we ask you to bless us and send your Holy Spirit upon us. Help us to see your word. Let us have attentive ears and attentive hearts. Speak, Lord. Your servant is listening. And for all that is within us, that is hard and sharp and unforgiving, that puts a blockage to stop the pathway to our hearts in which you come to us. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of the living God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Speak, Lord. Your servant is listening. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and proclaim to it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose, and he went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breadth. Jonah began to go into the city going a day's journey, and he cried, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. But the people of Nineveh believed God. They proclaimed a fast. They put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. Then tidings reached the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, sat in ashes, and he made a proclamation and published throughout Nineveh, by the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth, and let them cry mightily to God. Yes, let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence which is in his hands. Who knows, God may yet repent and turn from his fierce anger so that we perish not. When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil way, God repented of the evil which he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, I pray you, Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? 
That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger, abounding in mercy, and that you repent of evil. Therefore now, O Lord, take my life from me, I beg you, for it is better for me to die than to live. The Lord said, Do you do well to be angry? And then Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there, and he sat under it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. But the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm which attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a sultry east wind and the sun beat upon the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die and said, It is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, Do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, You pity the plant for which you did not labor nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should not I pity Nineveh, the great city, in which there are more than a 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle? Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and proclaim to it the message that I tell you. This is what the Lord does. He sends Jonah on a mission, as he did before. And he has to do it twice, because Jonah's ego got in the way of his obedience to the Lord's mission. That's why, remember, the Lord says at other places, I want obedience, not sacrifice. Jonah has his own agenda, even in evangelizing, you might say, even in prophecy. He knows the way the Lord should work, and this isn't what the Lord is asking him to do. So the Lord has to ask him a second time. It's sort of like in, uh, you know, in, in, in Exodus, where... Moses is told to strike the rock, and here he's just disobedient to the Lord. He keeps banging away. He doesn't trust in the Lord. He's the only one in the whole book here who is close to God. The others are all pagans, the pagan sailors and the pagans of Nineveh. And the pagans of Nineveh, although the, the, uh, the sailors seem to be kind of nice people, <laughs> they're very kind to Jonah, even though he's causing them to sink. And, and for that matter, so are the, the people of Nineveh. They're all rather good people, they seem, even though they're famous for being cruel and vicious and nasty and horrible and, and so on. In fact, the most unpleasant person in the whole book of Jonah is Jonah because he's got this sort of chip in his shoulder. He's got this kind of ego-driven sense of his own prophecy, and he doesn't follow what the Lord wants. So God has to call him a second time. Let's pray. 
that for each of us, whatever mission God has given us, that we will have the humility and the simplicity not to try to put our agenda in front of that of God or try to second-guess God, which is what Jonah is doing. But that we may say, Speak, Lord, your servant is listening. Or that we might imitate our Blessed Mother. Behold, the handmaid of the Lord, be it done unto me according to your word. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Purify us, O Lord, from that backward prayer we too often have in our hearts. My kingdom come, my will be done. Take from us the spirit of ego-driven Jonah, that we may be humble servants. So Jonah arose and he went to Nineveh, according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breadth. And Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey. And he cried, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They proclaimed the fast. They put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. Oh my! There he is. We can be sure he was, he's doing what God asked him. Finally, he's doing it, but very grudgingly. But, and this is a clear example too. He doesn't have a brilliant uh, evangelizing plan. In fact, he actually is sort of designing his ministry so that it will fail. He doesn't want it to succeed. So this is not, he, he doesn't have a, uh, like he's not using all the social media of his day to communicate and get the message out and doing all these creative things to proclaim the message of God. He probably mumbles because he doesn't really want it to happen. And yet I think a message there, another second message for us. Yes, yes, let's do all we can do. Let's try to see how we can reach out to people, use all the tools of the trade and all these various technical things. Let us try to be organized and have a pastoral plan and all those other things for we earnestly seek to serve the Lord and to fulfill the mission he has given us but it's his mission it's not ours as the great Bishop Sheen said about the priesthood the priest is not his own I think every priest should repeat that every day several times the priest is not his own now, that's why I always worry a little bit I think in my own particular ministry of uh, in the church, everyone has different ministries and different roles as disciple. But everyone says, my priesthood. Well, I don't think we have our priesthood. It's the priesthood of Jesus Christ. And any priesthood we have that we're going to design is not going to work. And the same, I think, for our life of discipleship, all of us, is you know, through baptism. Uh, we should do, we should use our energy, do all of that. But it's the grace of God, good grief. These Ninevites are not repenting because uh, Jonah has the eloquence of Bishop Sheen or Bishop Barron or all these great uh, uh, people uh, who can do all these things. Uh, not at all. He's, he's actually designing his ministry to fail. But nonetheless, it is God's grace which causes the conversion. 
That's why often they say, there's an old saying, that a bishop would rather have a, a, um, a monastery of contemplative nuns or, or monks in his diocese than a hundred people banging on doors proclaiming the word of God. Because it is through prayer. It's just like Benedict says in the rule, uh, the ultimate monk, every good deed, every good thing you do begin with prayer. That's why Bishop Sheen says, spend a day, an hour every day in, in adoration before our Lord and the Blessed Sacrament. All your clever ideas, no one's going to think about them. They don't really, they don't matter that much. And so here we see it. So let's just think of this. Everyone repented with the most incompetent evangelist and prophet because God was making it happen. And let's pray that we may realize that in our own service of God, whatever it may be, that we may serve God humbly and uh, to him be the glory, to him be our humble service. Like Paul says, Apollos planted, uh, I watered, but God gave the growth. Incrementum dot Deus. So if you were to ask Jonah, who is the worst person in the world? Cruel, heartless emperor. He'd say the king of Nineveh. But God can work even with that. And then tidings reached the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne and removed his robe and covered himself with sackcloth and sat in ashes. And he made proclamation and published throughout Nineveh, by the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, let no, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth, and let them cry mightily to God, yes, let everyone turn from his evil way, now the violence which is in his hands. Who knows, God may yet repent and turn from his fierce anger, so that we perish not. When God saw that they, what they did and how they turned from their evil way, God repented of the evil which he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. So here we see the power of God reaching through. It's just like you think of St. Augustine, you know, going all off in these horrible ways, and his mother was just just distraught like a lot of parents are when their children kind of go off the track. And as she was crying, St. Ambrose said to her, why are you crying? My son has gone off, he's done all these horrible things. And the great bishop said, the child of those tears will never perish. It is prayer. I often, when people speak of concern, have a heavy heart because their kids have kind of headed off into some destructive path. I always say, pray to St. Monica. Pray to St. Monica. It is prayer. It is the Lord who can penetrate even the hardest heart. Think of Paul slashing and burning and throwing people in jail and all that. And yet he became the great apostle. And here is a person like Paul. You would least expect to repent. 
And yet, God makes it happen. I think we need to loosen up a little bit. And I, I know, I think of myself, I think of all the troubles you got facing us. Good grief. Oh my. But we have to say, I often joke and I say, good grief. We're reduced to prayer. Has it come to that? Who knew? Well, I think it has come to that. And so we do, we spend our days busily being ardent servants of God, but ultimately, you know, got to put it in the hands of the Lord and, and God will work wonders in whatever way God wishes. And certainly not the way we want. We don't see it no more than Jonah saw it. He didn't want this path. It wasn't his plan for evangelization. Yet it was God's plan. And Jonah's just a servant. He's just a prophet. And so are we. God does not want to destroy. He wants, he yearns for the free response in love. Think of our Lord Jesus, always reaching out, reaching out. He would have forgiven, he did forgive, I'm sure, but he would have forgiven Judas. He, but Judas would not come back. He forgave Peter. Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? We have to respond, though, to that. But God always is rich in kindness, abounding in mercy, slow to anger. Let's thank God for that. But now we see the angry prophet. Jonah's pouting. You know, he's, he gets out of the city and he starts, he just wants, come on, Lord, send fire, send brimstone, and maybe he'll change his mind and blow him away. He wants to sit outside to watch with a hope against hope, they'll all be killed. But that's not what God is going to do. And in fact, he knows God's not that way because he says to him you know you are rich in kindness and that's why i wanted to go away because i didn't want you to forgive these people isn't that pretentious and often our anger which is in many ways the most destructive sin maybe next to pride the two go together our anger is based upon precisely a certain pretentiousness, a frustration that our will is not happening, is not taking place. And, and anger just eats away, and there's a lot of eating away in this passage here, and it distorts our judgment, and it clouds our insight, and it makes us miserable. We can sit and stew in our bubbling acidic juices of our anger. And a lot of people can waste their life doing that, and usually because they had some good reason, whatever. But life is too short for that. And all these dramatic uh, statements that Jonah makes, I want to die. I think, uh, you know, I wonder if the Lord simply says, Jonah, will you just calm down? I remember there's my favorite TV show, it's not on anymore, but it's my favorite comedy, is Yes, Prime Minister. 
And there's this sort of wily civil servant, Humphrey Appleby, who, uh, anyway, the whole, there's a little story, one of the funniest of the episodes is, is that he gets into a, a kind of a, a rant because he has not got a key to get from his office into the prime minister's. And he's pouting away, oh, this is destructive, all this, all these things that will destroy the whole government of England if I cannot have this. And the wise prime minister says, oh, you lost your key, did you? <laughs> we can be real drama people. So let's look at Jonah and maybe try not to be like him. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, I pray you, Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious God, merciful, slow to anger, abounding in mercy, and that you repent of evil. Therefore now, O Lord, take my life from me, I beg you, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, Do you do well to be angry? Then Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. Maybe he thought that his little pout would convince God to change his mind again and destroy the city. We can get so caught up in ourselves and our own little, when we're frustrated, and get into this kind of magnifying things way out of proportion and get rhetorically into overdrive, as Jonah does. I will die. And then he goes out and he wants to see if maybe God will blow away the city. And he has a little booth. He's a comfortable prophet. It's funny, he's fiery. And he wants everyone, he's just sort of like the word of God, like a flamethrower he wants. It's like an old Jewish saying, do not make an axe out of the Torah. Well, that's Jonah's doing that. But it's interesting, in a couple of places here, in the first uh, section too, the, the ship is in danger, the people, the sailors are screaming, and what does Jonah do? He goes down into his cabin and goes, you know, just tries to get away. And here he's got a nice cozy little booth. He sat under it in the shade so he can be comfortable as he sees fire come down upon the city. Let's repent of our drama, of the ways we get carried away because of anger, because of pride, because of whatever, our own autonomy, that we get carried away with our own agenda, with our own view of things, and blow it up through language into greater and greater and greater things. Sometimes being articulate is a problem. Just calm down, calm down and say, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. And so now, God's going to teach a little lesson to, to Jonah. He did in the first part of the book as well. Uh, he used natural things the storm, the fish, all kinds of things to get Jonah to smarten up. Maybe to find a bit of humility, 
to try to get going in the right direction. And so the Lord does that as well here. And he uses a kind of a prophetic action of the Lord God himself to, to teach Jonah to have a bit of compassion. Jonah gets upset about everything. He gets upset that they don't get destroyed, that people are, are forgiven by God. He gets into a big dramatic thing, overdrive in that. I beg you, I will die. And then the Lord gets a, a little plant to give him some more shade, and then the plant kind of goes away. He sends a little worm. He, it's interesting. The word here is he appoints Jonah to go on his mission. He appoints a plant to cover him and give him some shade, and he appoints a little worm to destroy the plant, to shake Jonah up a little bit. And they're doing a mission for God to teach Jonah something. And Jonah goes into another big overkill type thing, overreaction, because the plant is not there anymore. And the Lord God appointed a plant. So a prophetic plant. He appointed a plant. And he made it come up over Jonah that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. Anything that saves him from discomfort, he's exceedingly glad about. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm, which attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a sultry east wind. And the sun beat down upon the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die and said, It is better for me to die than to live. Pretty well anything gets Jonah saying that. But God said to Jonah, do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, You pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being at a night and perished in a night. And should not I? Pity Nineveh, that great city, in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle. God has compassion on the cows and all the other animals. He has compassion on everyone. And Jonah's throwing a tantrum because of the plant. Oh my. Jonah is as we all can be, so caught up in himself, in big things and in little things, that he's just pouting. He's going into this kind of thing. And I think of how often that's true in society, this kind of, where we can get so absorbed in our own vision. And that hardens things. Look in politics. Look in the church. Look in society. People are firing up, and, and that is good to a degree. For we need the ardent, an ardent prophet is important. And so we see in Elijah, and Jeremiah, and Isaiah. But there must be a sense of humility there too. A willingness to listen and not just to speak. An ability to 
As God here says, why are you so upset in such a dither, in such a stew of anger over the plant? But you didn't really do anything to help. Should I not have compassion on the people, even the wicked people of the city, because they've turned from their wickedness? He wants them. He doesn't want them destroyed. He wants them to repent, and they repented by his grace. And so he has compassion on them, and even the animals don't know their left and their right hand from one another, their left paw from their right paw, or something like that. That's the cutest line. It's so wonderful to end out such a profound and beautiful book. <laughs> I can see the, it's the cattle means a general thing for not, not necessarily just cows, but animals. I can think of all the little kittens of Nineveh. And I have compassion on them. They don't know their left paw from their right paw. Should I not have compassion? The Lord God, I think he ends. Um, it has not, it's not unknown for God to end a mighty book with a joke. <laughs> and, you know, laughter is the best medicine. There used to be a, a thing in, I think, Reader's Digest. And that's true. One of the things that... Jonah is not a very... Does not, I think you would not say he has a sense of humor. He's so... <clears throat> tragedy is pagan. Comedy is divine. To see a certain sense of proportion. To be able to understand things in that broader vision of compassion. To be able to laugh at oneself. I don't think Jonah's ever laughing at himself. He's always, I am going to die. Oh my. And so to be able, God says to him, there are 120,000 people and all the little animals and they don't know their left paw from their right. Oh my. I still don't think probably, I don't think Jonah probably got the joke. So Thomas More, when he was on his way to, well, you know, on, on the way to the scaffold, he was cracking jokes as he went up. He, he, he said, he took his beard out. He said, I'll pull it out of the way. It didn't commit treason. And then he said, aim well. I've got a pretty short neck and I don't want to, don't want you to have a bad reputation as an executioner. And then he, on the way up, he, he said that I'll, you know, help me on the way up. I'll take care of myself on the way down. But he also said to son Roper, his, uh, his son-in-law, he said, son Roper, the devil, that proud spirit cannot stand laughter. And it is comedy that is divine. So maybe another lesson from the book of Jonah, when we see this highly dedicated but unbalanced or very overly focused prophet, lighten up a little bit, Jonah, and maybe you'll have a little understanding to the, about the humanity of the people you're preaching to. They're not just cardboard cutouts to be blown away. They're people. And maybe if all of us could if everyone we deal with, if we could realize they're people, treat them like a who, not a what, and the world would be a better place. So Jonah teaches us a lot, and so does the Lord God through this prophecy, this great book. What does it say to my head, to my heart, and to my hands that I can know and love God and teach me what to do? Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and proclaim to it the message that I tell you. 
So Jonah arose, and he went to Nineveh, according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breadth. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey, and he cried, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They proclaimed a fast. They put on sackcloth, and the greatest of them to the least of them. Then tidings reached the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, sat in ashes, and he made a proclamation and published it throughout Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles. Let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth, and let them cry mightily to God. Yes, let everyone turn from his evil way, and from the violence which is in his hands. Who knows? God may yet repent and turn from his fierce anger, so that we perish not. When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil way, God repented of the evil which he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord, and he said, I pray you, Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger, abounding in mercy, that you repent of evil. Therefore now, O Lord, take my life from me, I beg you, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, you do well to be angry. Then Jonah went out of the city and sat at the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade until he should see what would become of the city. And the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. And when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm, which attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun arose, God appointed a sultry east wind, and the sun beat on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die and said, It is better for me to die than to live. And God said to Jonah, Do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. Now the Lord said, You pity the plant, for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should not I pity Nineveh, that great city, in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. 
Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.